Yeah, thanks, Dave. And hi, everyone. It is so good to still be able to connect with you in this way, even though we would have much preferred to all be in person together. How grateful are we that we don't have to let a weekend slip by without connecting in this way? And I'm also just really grateful for the opportunity to be here to explore this topic with you today, the topic of singleness. I'm always pleased to see churches identifying this and considering this because it is so relevant and so much a part of our church life and church family, but all too often it's overlooked. Generally, though, when a church invites someone to speak on a specific topic, it's because they're an expert on it. And today is no exception because I am an expert on singleness. Amazing. And uh, so, so single. In fact, she wrote a book about it. Um, and, you know, basically professional single person is who I am and what I am in that sense. But this is, could not be further from what I had hoped for or expected for my life, but it is the reality in which I find myself living. I was previously married. We were married for eight years and I was obviously quite young because I'm only in my late 20s now. Um, but the marriage was not healthy. It was, in fact, quite destructive. And God hates divorce. And I agree with that. I know why. Because it is a tearing apart of something that has been united together. And you can't do that without there being lots of pain and brokenness. It's against everything he wants for his children. Except I also know that what I was experiencing within the marriage was not what he had on his heart for me either. And so the marriage ended. And while God has done an incredible work of healing and he continues to uh, work his redemption in my life, this is most certainly an unexpected version of my life that I'm now living. Straight out of my marriage ending, God called me into vocational ministry. And as I navigated through that world and grew and changed into the role as the church itself grew and changed, what I began to see was something of the unique experience it is to be a single adult in an environment that is highly family focused, as it should be. Church should be champions of marriage and parenting and family and health and wholeness in all of those arenas. But what for the single person living within that, experiencing a highly together kind of world alone? So with my expert hat on today and with the time that we have um, together, I want us to seek some deeper understanding that there would be affirmation and encouragement for singles who are listening or watching, and also a sense of discovery and awareness for all of us as we consider singleness and also what it looks like for a single adult to be part of our church family. Proverbs 4.7 is one of my favorites. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, gain understanding. Let's lean into this topic today and invite God to illuminate what he would to each of our hearts and to our minds, that we would grow in understanding and wisdom. In 1 Corinthians, Paul includes in his letter a section about singleness and marriage that you may be familiar with. And there's one point that often stands out for us when we're considering a biblical perspective on singleness. In verse 7 of chapter 7, he says, I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And it's from this passage that we in church land get this phrase you might have heard before, the gift of singleness. Now, for myself, I don't consider singleness 
to be a gift in the sense of, oh, no, you shouldn't have. It's too much, right? <laughs> this is not how I would receive this experience. And I'm not aware of many other single adults who would consider it a gift in that sense either. If this is my gift, well, maybe next time just consider a voucher or a nice plant or maybe just at least keep the receipt so I can exchange it for something I actually want. I don't know, right? <laughs> but as we look at the language that Paul uses and unpack it a bit further, we might shift our perspective somewhat. The word for gift here is exchangeable for the word grace. So when we talk about the gift we have for God, we're talking about the way God has graced us, his grace on our lives and how he graces us for that moment, for this season. Today, I am single. So this is my gift. This is how God has graced me. I have the gift of singleness because that's the undeniable reality of my life right now. It is true about me. However, I don't know what that means for the future. So I don't know if that's a long-term thing. The grace of God on our lives isn't guaranteed in any expression. And sometimes I think we default to believing that it is. You know, we're gifted with a lovely home, a great family, church, ministry opportunities, life experiences, relationships, and et cetera, et cetera. But none of those things is forever. And everything is subject to change, right? We are graced by God in this moment and for this moment. And so however we might claim our gifting, it's not necessarily permanent. You are single until you're not. <laughs> and then you're likely to be again, because even the gift of marriage is not forever, unless you're like Noah and Ali from the notebook and you die holding hands together in bed. But people have often asked me if I think I have the gift of singleness. And I've often had singles ask me how they might even know for themselves if they have this gift. The gift of singleness, God's grace in my life in this way is for today. We don't need to know the future of that. Instead, we are called to live what we do know to the best of our ability. Unless and until that status changes, in which case we live that grace in our lives to its fullest. Which leads me to some home truths for us to consider today about what singleness is and what it isn't. The rest of the passage here in, in 1 Corinthians 7, a few more verses say, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is considered about is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she please her husband? I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Sometimes we summarize this as Paul saying that singleness is better than being married. And I think that's a rash assessment of what he's trying to communicate here. What singleness is, is an opportunity for a singleness of heart and focus on loving and serving God. Because as he says, when you're married, you have to be concerned about the needs and the expectations of a spouse. Now, that's just relationship maths. If you have a person with whom you're in an intimate covenant relationship, they're going to need some of your attention, your affection and your energy. By definition, that means you're going to have to do some work to manage that and your relationship with God. Singles, when that intimate space in our hearts is not being drawn on by another human, we get to fill that space 
with pursuing God and his ministry and, and desire for a relationship with us. What I also hear, though, is Paul warning married people, you're in a challenging situation. You're meant to be all about God, but you've got this person who will very easily take up time and space and attention that God desires from you. You're, you're going to have to work hard to make sure that doesn't happen. Singles, you don't have to worry about that distraction. And so you could probably more easily or more readily carve out some time and energy and heart focus for the, the God who sees you and knows you and loves you. So what singleness is, is a unique opportunity for service and mission and ministry. I, I mean, I reflect on my own life these past years, and I know without a doubt that the nature and the breadth of my ministry engagement would have been dramatically different where I married. It just would have. And so I've been determined to be a different, you know, to make, to maximize the time and to maximize the opportunities that are afforded to me because I'm single to be a different kind of friend, a different kind of pastor, a different kind of auntie person in the lives of others, to work differently, to serve differently, to give differently, to maximize the offering of this season I've been gifted at this time. So that's the truth about what singleness is. But let me tell you three things singleness is not. And the first is that singleness is not a step to another life stage. It is a life stage. Hear that again. Singleness is not a step to another life stage. It is a legitimate life stage itself. The natural narrative of our lives, spoken or not, is that we're born and we're born single. No one tends to label us that way until we're a bit older. No one says, this is my daughter. She's seven. She's single. Like it's not part of our narrative for a little while until maybe we get into our older teen years or young adult years. But it's the truth, right? We start single. We grow up. We get married, have kids. They grow up. They get married. They have kids. We become grandparents. Then we die, right? This is the, the, the story. These are the relational markers that we all move through and that we are all partially defined by which category then we fall into. And it's natural. I mean, I'm yet to meet a single older adult person who isn't surprised to find themselves that way. So they may not be unhappy to be single or childless or whatever combination of those things they are. But I believe most people have this default expectation or this assumption that this is how life will pan out. But what comes with how we navigate that pathway then is this whole suite of assumptions and language that speaks to singleness as just a stepping stone in life to the ultimate goal or the ultimate next goal, which is marriage. I recall meeting someone and he was telling me about his family. He said, I've got three adult kids, two are married, one to go. A harmless statement. You might have said it, definitely will have heard it. And it's not an unhealthy desire for his family, but an unspoken assumption that all of his children would be married soon. So what if number three happens to find themselves single still in five years, 10 years? Have they somehow disappointed the family? Uh, is there something wrong? You know, singleness is a legitimate life stage that, as we've already touched on, has unique blessings and opportunities contained in it. Let's not rush past it and invalidate what God might want for us in that season and want from us in that season. The second thing is that singleness is not on hold. If we see singleness as a stepping stone to the next stage, we run the risk of missing everything this season may hold because we're looking ahead. 
We're all prone to do that in every stage of life. The when I's, <laughs> when I graduate, when I get my license, when I have a full-time job, when I get my first home, when I get my bigger home, when I'm the boss, when the kids are bigger, when I'm retired. And we can be so fixated on the next that we aren't open to all that now might actually offer us. I have a, a personal bugbear with the word waiting. Singles are often drawn to statements like, I'm waiting for the right person. Or at weddings, we might hear people say, this is what or who I've been waiting for all my life. And that can be a true and lovely sentiment. But here's what comes to my mind when I hear those expressions. A doctor's waiting room. Nothing good happens in a doctor's waiting room, right? It's daytime television. It's outdated magazines probably outdated decor to match. And you're wondering if you're gonna contract more germs than you walked in with because of who else is waiting in the, the waiting room around you. But more than anything, it's that sense of wasting time. Nothing productive happens in a waiting room. So when I hear the word waiting attached to singleness or to marriage, it makes me fear of the mind for the mindset that might accompany that, where we are stagnant or unproductive while we wait for life to truly start when we're married. Single adults have often been known to put off buying a house or advancing in study or career or engaging in ministry or mission or any number of things because they are waiting for when they are married. Your season of singleness, however long it may last, is not a waiting season. It can and should be a season of great growth, of productivity, of preparation for whatever is next, not just preparation for marriage. Although anything you do to grow yourself as a person will ultimately benefit a future relationship because you'll bring your best self to it. But because we want to be positioned, ready to respond right, to whatever God has in store for us. It's like I have this image, you know, God sort of saying, I have this great ministry opportunity. I want you to join me in it. And would we answer, oh, but I'm not married. So I'm just kind of hanging here for a bit. You know, it's sort of this weird concept, this idea of waiting. Singleness is not a waiting room. And the third thing singleness is not, is it's not less. You are not less if you are not married. It's easy to see and that the story is perpetuated that marriage is some kind of holy grail, the pinnacle of adulting success, that you must have done something right to snag yourself a spouse. We even say to single people, you deserve a great wife or a great husband, as if somehow they're the prize for you being a good person. If we're not thoughtful with, with our word choice, or we, we can easily reinforce this often held belief that singles have or the fear that they have that there's something wrong with us there's something wrong with me when speaking with people who are struggling with this question i often say think of all the people you know who are married they're not all attractive successful smart wise emotionally intelligent psychologically stable people right in fact some of them are quite strange you don't need to nudge your own partner at this point i wasn't talking about them but but marriage is not Marriage is not a reward for being good or living well. It is not a prize. Marriage is God's gift, his grace to some in their season and in his timing. Don't let the enemy fool you into believing otherwise. Don't be people who perpetuate this notion that somehow marriage signifies your worth or your capacity to adult. <laughs> it does not. And we shouldn't continue that narrative. 
how are you still single? That's a classic line and often unintentional, but it's a way that we do that. We perpetuate this idea. And just one final thought for us as we consider this topic of singleness today, and that is about the need for intimacy. Here is something that is true for all of humanity, including singles. We are all relational, sexual people who are wired for intimacy, all of us. It's in our createdness, made in the image of God, and it is built into our physiology and our biology, as well as into our soul and our spirit. We all desire to be fully known and to be fully loved. It is not just the purview of the married. So I raise this topic just briefly, but I think it is worth your full consideration because it's true for all of us that we are, are driven in different ways by the, the need we have for acceptance, for value, for belonging, for deep connectedness and, and for deep love. Um, you know, married people, for you, built into God's design for marriage is the idea and the ideal that you would experience and explore this need together and express it in healthy ways. It's, it's not a given though. I mean, Paul addresses it in this same letter to the Corinthians we've been exploring, this idea of sexual intimacy and how it could play out healthily in marriage. But singles, we have the same need, but not the same means by of meeting or expressing that need. So what do we do with it? How do we go about fulfilling? How do we go about fulfilling our need for intimacy in healthy and appropriate ways? That's a question that each individual must actively engage in because either you manage your need for intimacy or it will manage you. I am a physical touch person. You've you know, heard of the, the five love, love languages. It would be at the top of my list. And it's something I've had to wrestle with as a single person. And not only in terms of sort of re relational, romantic, sexual connection, but even just in this idea of locating myself in space. There is so much incidental contact that takes place in families and, and in homes. But for solo people, that's often missing. Just the affirmation that, you know, you take up a physical space, you are here and you have physicality. We need that acknowledged. Part of how I've always managed that as well as making sure every time I see my dad and my three brothers, I let them know that the hug will be finishing when I tell them the hug will be finishing. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, you're released making the most of those kind of relationships, but also even just in simple things like getting my hair done or my nails done or a, a massage and being intentional about receiving that in, in that moment as being a, an act of locating me physically in the world. But I want to finish with a story that I love, love, love to tell. And it's about my friend Jemima. She's 14 now and um, she is and has always been a, a great hugger. But when she was about four, she used to do the hug, the full koala style hug, you know, arms around the neck and the legs were hugging you just as tight as the arms were. You feeling what I'm saying there? You experience those kind of hugs. You know someone who hugs that way. Well, one day we were in the middle of a great big hug and I was like, oh, Mindsy, I love your hugs so much. And she sort of pulled back and went, why? <laughs> What's the big deal? It's just a hug. So I explained to her, you know, I was living by myself and I had no one to hug me at home and I could go days without a cuddle. And so when I saw her, it was like, and I said, oh, it's like, it's like my hug tank is getting a top up. Right. That was it. 
She had her mission and she chose to accept it. Her role was to keep Kimmy's hug tank full. So after church on Sundays, she would refuse to go home until she'd come and hugged me. One time I was taking too long and her family were like, we've got to go. Like <laughs> we can't organize our life around needing to keep Kim's hug tank full. But I was praying for someone deep in prayer, you know, eyes closed. And then I feel these little arms come around my waist and this squeeze from behind me. She just was not going to leave without giving me a hug. When she knew we weren't going to see each other for a bit, she'd give me extra hugs, you know, just to last me a little bit longer. And um, sometimes, you know, maybe an extra like auxiliary tank, you know, like an extra one that you carry with you, it could fill up for emergencies. But then particularly if I was going somewhere where I might have to give away hugs, maybe we need extra tank. It became a very complicated and very intricate process. But what a gift, right? What a gift for her and for me to have this intentionality around what it is to receive that physicality and the, the connectedness that took place there. We are wired for intimacy. All of us are wired for intimacy. Manage it or it will manage you. So we've looked at three big ideas today. And of course, there are plenty more things that we could um, look at. But I wanted to just felt that this is where we should draw our attention to today. The first is this idea of, of understanding what it means that when singleness is a gift. It is a gift. It is a grace on your life for a season and for God's purposes. What are you doing to maximize that? How are you making the most of that season for however long it may last and that gift for however long it is on your life? The second thing is just recognizing that idea that that, you know, what singleness is and what it isn't, and it's not less and it's not on hold, you know, identifying the lies that the enemy is speaking to you about your worth or your value. If you're single, recognizing how the enemy might use us, our words to reinforce those wrong ideas in the lives of people around us, making wise choices, speaking life and, and the, the truth of God into the, the culture, into the narrative, and particularly into those specific lives of the single people we know. And then understanding that sense of, of intimacy, the reality of our need for it, for relationships where we are fully known and fully loved, where there is that sense of refinement that can take place in relationships of safety, but also just that sense of locating ourselves physically in the world and recognizing our need for that. Could I pray for you? Father God, you are a relational God. You, you have created us out of love and out of relationship for love and for relationship. And we, we acknowledge that and we thank you for it. Father, you, you know the, the lives, the circumstances, the, the situations of all who are listening this morning. And I will just pray, God, that you would illuminate to your hearts exactly what it is that you want us to hear today. What are you saying to me, to each individual? God, is it a word of encouragement to, to those who are perhaps in an unexpected season of singleness and wondering where this fits into your plans and purposes for them? Would you speak hope and courage and, and a sense of, of joy and a, an ability to embrace the gift that is on their life for this time? God, would you heal hearts and heal wounds that have taken place either through 
broken relationships and, and death and loss that have, have caused singleness or even this sense of unexpected singleness where there's a, a question mark about what might have been missed or what might have um, been overlooked or, or what has happened to, to cause us to be in a stage of life that we didn't expect to be in. God, would you just speak your truth? Would you minister your spirit into those hurting places? And God, as a community, would you keep just stretching us in our understanding? Though it costs all we have, would we continue to be those who seek to know what is right and good and true, to be people who communicate your uh, goodness and your wholeness and your sense of breathing life and purpose into people rather than perpetuating negative stereotypes or the, the lies of the enemy or the attempts of the enemy to bring us down. God would... Bendigo Baptist in every expression, all people engaged in it, impacted by it, be just this great reflection of what it is to be family, of, as children of you, that all would find a place of inclusion and belonging and all would have this sense of embracing whatever this season is, whatever your grace on our lives for this moment is, would we live it to its fullest and would it be for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you.